Welcome back to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I'm Carrie Ann. Listen, this episode is another one that I know you're gonna love because you requested it and it has some really good information. I just can't wait for you to hear it. But before we get into the episode, I want to let you know that now you can support the podcast with a donation. You can click the donate to the podcast link in the show description, or you can go on the website and click the donate link at the top of the page. Donate whatever amount you wish. It means a lot for you to support the podcast, and I appreciate it. Remember, the link is in the show description for this episode, or you can go to carryonfriends.com and click on the word donate on the menu at the top of the page. All right, now let's get into this episode with Ursula Barze on exploring the benefits of Caribbean citizenship. And we also talk about moving back to the Caribbean. There's been a lot of talk about that, and Ursula and I get into that. Check it out. Um, hi, Ursula. Thank you for being on the Carry On Friends podcast. Listen, everyone, I've known Ursula since I started blogging many moons ago, and I'm finally excited that she's on the podcast talking about a topic that I know Ursula is the boss and knows everything. So Ursula, again, welcome to Carry On Friends. How are you? Hello, Carrie Ann. Thank you very much for such the warm uh, welcome. Happy New Year. It's great to be here talking to your audience. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time. And so, yeah, I'm here to share knowledge and, you know, hopefully help a few people, you know, get more uh, connected with, you know, their home country or a new one in uh, the Caribbean. Listen, I love that you said that. I'm going to make a note to it because I really want to come back to it. But before we dive in, right, let's tell the community of friends a little bit about who you are. They hear this accent, Caribbean country you represent. Yeah, so I've been living in the UK for the past uh, 10 years. But prior to that, I lived in the US for many decades. But my family is originally from um, Montserrat. So a really tiny island. Most people will know of it from the volcano that happened over two decades ago. And also from, you know, Arrow with his hit song, Hot, Hot, Hot. But uh, yeah, um, most of my family is in the U.S. I grew up in Boston, went to school in, you know, Ann Ann Arbor, Michigan, lived in, you know, Chicago. Um, But yeah, for the last decade or so, I've lived in London. And it's actually since I've been here that I've really gotten more reconnected with my Caribbean roots and yeah, in 2014, I launched my blog, you know, Caribbean and Co., which is all about, you know, things to do in the Caribbean region, you know, where to stay and live and work, you know, opportunities. Um, so really going beyond sun, sand and sea, um, because when I was working on a digital marketing campaign, and I was just like, why aren't more of our own people telling our own stories? And so, you know, it took me a while, but, you know, I got around to it and finally launched the blog. And here we are now. What is it? Eight years later. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we came online around the same time. Yeah. But I did not know that you grew up in the U.S. So I, yeah. I'm learning something new along with the audience. Oh my God. Yeah, pretty much most of my life was spent in the U.S. My worldview is very global. But in terms of mindset and, you know, where my you know, ideas, um, very much, you know, American. But my roots, you know, I fly the flag is, you know, Montserrat. So 
yeah, I've been all over the place. Awesome. So before we jump into the topic, you said something. What about living in the UK that made you reconnect more to the region or your culture? Um, I'm in my fifth decade. And um, living in the US um, during the 80s and 90s and even the 2000s, people, for the most part, didn't know the Caribbean. You know, they might know Jamaica, <laughs> but, you know, they didn't know, uh, you know, St. Lucia. You know, they didn't really know the Bahamas, even though it's kind of next door or Guadeloupe. And definitely they didn't know Montserrat. And so from that standpoint, um, in an effort to kind of assimilate and, you know, particularly when, when in school and not have kids pick on you, I went full American. It wasn't a rejection. It was a survival mechanism. And so it really has been in this last decade or so, it's like, oh, yes, <laughs> you know, we want to go home, you know, because working towards the American dream, like you kind of get sidetracked from your culture, your people. And it's just like, wait a minute. So you're working so hard, killing yourself when really you know, all you want to do is be in sunshine, <laughs> you know, and maybe go pick some fruits. <laughs> so yeah, it's trying to find that balance. And it's like being here in London. And that's not to say that London has more, you know, Caribbean. I mean, it does, you know, a little bit, but yeah, it's just being older, more, you know, mature, you know, realizing that, um, you know, the elders are passing. I am now sort of an elder. <laughs> Um, and it's who I am. So why not embrace it? Yes, you're right. It comes with age. You know, when you're younger, the survival or taking it for granted, if you grew up in a, a dominant Caribbean community, but with age, you get to understand that these are things to hold on to and make an intentional effort to reconnect, which is probably why a lot of my listeners, and they know who they are, I'm not going to shout them out or call them out, but they know who they are, who have been clamoring for this discussion. And I mentioned maybe in the readout from the survey that we've had segments of our audience who are interested in moving back to the Caribbean. Um, I did an episode on dual citizenship where to audience members who went through the process of getting their Jamaican passport. And so in addition to moving back to the Caribbean, I know that you were the first person that wrote a blog post on citizenship by investment in the Caribbean, the digital nomad thing before COVID amplified that, right? And so talk to me a little bit more about what these programs are, how they came to to be and why more of us of Caribbean culture should consider utilizing these programs. Yeah. You know, I kind of stumbled on uh, citizenship by investment programs because when I first started my blog, it was all about tourism, but I was trying to understand, wait a minute, you know, over 20 some million people visit the Caribbean, $30 billion in revenue generated for the region. Why is there this massive disconnect between all this revenue and the countries really not having, you know, a lot of capital for doing, you know, major programs? And it was then, you know, understanding that, oh, wait, you know, a lot of the major tourism products, you know, the hotels, you know, the resorts, they're foreign owned. So a lot of the revenue 
is leaked out of the country. <laughs> and so, you know, the governments don't have, you know, a lot of money to do the roads, you know, build the schools, do all these, you know, infrastructure projects that you would like them to do because it's all being leaked out of the country. And then it's like, wow, that was really eye-opening. And it's through, you know, understanding, okay, foreign direct investment is a thing. And under foreign direct investment, there are these programs that are called citizenship by investment programs. And St. Kitts and, you know, Nevis were the first to launch such a program in 1984, so about 38 years um, ago, and their program is the oldest in the world. And they actually launched it, you know, a year um, after they became independent. You know, essentially, it was like, we need to raise capital to, to do projects for our country, our people. How are we going to raise this capital? And it was a very creative, genius product. They're like, okay, what do we have that is a value? You know, we have a passport that we can sell. And so they created a you know product. And so now you can buy that passport for as little as, you know, 150,000 US dollars. Um, now that is for an individual. If you're a family, you're going to pay more. And there are, you know, additional fees, um, like the due diligence fees, you know, processing fees. Um, so, you know, it might run you up to, you know, 150, 160, uh, you know, maybe 200, you know, depending, um, you know, also there's like the real estate option. They came up with this program to raise money to do capital projects in their country. And, you know, I know it's very, you know, emotive and, you know, people back home get very upset, you know, they're selling off our country, you know, they're selling off passports and, you know, it's it's like, okay, so what is the alternative? You know, you think about the, the traditional industries, you know, you know, banana, sugar, you know, agriculture. Those industries are not what they once were. So it's like, what are the alternative products that we have for you know export? And they're not many. Um, most of the countries in the region, for good or bad, have hopped on tourism. And, you know, as we've seen during this pandemic, you know, we're kind of on our knees, you know, because people can't come, you know, because the borders are closed or there are all these rules and regulations and testings. And so, you know, the average trip that was 1,500, 2,000, you know, you now have to add another thousand for, you know, emergencies and all this other stuff. And so it's not affordable. So, you know, this was one of the creative ways that St. Kitts came up with to raise capital. You know, subsequent to that, you know, Dominica followed suit um, in 1993, Antigua and Barbuda in 2013, uh, Grenada in 2013 as well. And then last but not least, um, St. Lucia in 2015. So currently there are five countries in the Caribbean where you can say, okay, I want a, another passport. And I'm going to go out and get it. And, you know, I should say that there are five main reasons as to why people um, choose to get a second passport. So, you know, safe harbor, you know, civil war, you know, political turmoil, or even natural, you know, disaster. You're like, I want to get out of my country because, you know, there was a tsunami. Where do I go? Oh, I have this other passport. You know, second reason, you know, civil liberties is not what they should be. You know, you can't vote. 
or you know you can't you know do things freely you know think about china and you know the wealth they have there but all, all the restrictions um you know another reason um being able to travel more easily and this is one of the main reasons that's touted a passport from you know saint kitts gives you visa free access um to 157 countries whereas if you have a nigerian passport it's 45 and you're like, if you're one of the new wealthy people out of Nigeria or even China, which is um, a dominant market for these programs, um, their passport only gives you know visa-free access to you know seventy you know seventy-nine countries. And so, if you're a business person and you know they they want to fly next week, not wait you know three four weeks to like get a visa, this is a great way for them to do it. You know, another reason is you know you know minimize tax burden. Um, if you are a U.S. citizen. Um, no matter where in the world that you live, you know, Uncle Sam will come for you. And if you haven't lived in the U.S. for 10, 15, 20 years, you're like, wait a minute. So it's like, hmm, you know, more and more people are renouncing their U.S. citizenship. Now, I would say think about that carefully. But, you know, this is one of the reasons why people get a second passport. And then, you know, a final reason is to ward off, you know, against, um, you know, political blowback. Say, for example, when there's like a war and the aftermaths of a war. I mean, when I first moved to London, you know, George Bush was president. And there were times where I didn't open my mouth because the response was not positive. Now, when, you know, President Obama came into power, that changed. But then when Trump came into power, it was like, Jesus Christ. So there are all these reasons as to why people get second passports. And so people who have, you know, Caribbean ancestry, their first option should be to look at the passports by, you know, descent. And yeah. But if that is not an option, it's like, look at, you know, buying a passport through one of these programs. Because our you know, Caribbean passports are quite valuable, but we don't value them <laughs> because, you know, for a lot of us, we're so focused on getting, you know, the American passport or the, you know, British passport or, you know, the Canadian passport, which are powerful passports. This is a wealth management. This is a, you know, asset management. This is a, you know, retirement management. This is a, you know, generational management strategy is that, you know, you buy insurance, you know, stocks and bonds, art, passport, you know, real estate. It's just one of the things that's in your arsenal. And so based on how things are going in the world, um, you know, same thing. When I moved to London or even 20 years ago, the number one passport in the world was the American passport. Right now, the American passport is ranked number seventh along with the British passport. The number one passport is the Japanese passport and the Singapore passport. Um, that's followed by the German passport and the South you know, Korean passport at number two. So because of world events, because of things that are happening, it's like, you know, the passport value goes up or down. And so play it safe. If you have options, you know, get what you can get. Wow. I am loving this conversation. Now, I want to go back to something that you said. You said that our passports, our regional passports are valuable. Um, how are they valuable in a way that we, descendants of the region, you know, aren't seeing? I mean, I know you said that there's this asset management, but in a very simplified way, 
how is it valuable and in a way that we are not seeing? Well, you know, linking back to the reasons that I gave you as to why people get, you know, second passports, if you're a second, third generation person in in the U.S. and you now have your American passport, you're thinking, okay, great, but don't leave your, you know, family passport, you know, your heritage passport have your parents, your grandparents, because that's, you know, traditionally the two links that it takes to get that passport, get the passport because you never know how things are changing. You know, also, um, you know, if you want to go to Barbados, you know, back to, you know, Jamaica, it's so much easier to get things done, you know, within the country if you can rock up and say, I have this piece of paper. So, you know, you can buy real estate, you know, you can, you know, go in a government office and say, I need access to X, Y, and Z, you know, versus you being a Yankee saying, um, okay, yeah, please help me. You know, I mean, you still might get a little bit of, huh? You, you know, double take, because they're like, are you sure that yes. you, you know, Beijing or Jamaican or whatever it is. But, you know, you have the documentation because you are a citizen of that country. And with citizenship comes privileges, you know, even, you know, access to health care and, you know, maybe schools and all this, you know, and all these things. It's a safety net. So you may not need to use it ever, but there are times based as we see what's happening now in the world. Yeah. It's an option. It's good to have options. This is what wealthy people do. So value what we have, you know, I mean, you know, think about it. It's like, why are the wealthy from the Middle East, from Africa, from Asia, tapping into our passports? And keep in mind that passports in and of itself is a relatively new concept in that prior to, you know, the 1920s, I mean, you know, people came through you know, Ellis Island with paperwork, they didn't come with a passport. You know, it was after World War II, it was like, oh, you know, we we need global standards. And so they came up, you know, with this thing, which unfortunately, you know, penalizes, you know, countries that are not in the West. But at the same time, we just have to play the game, you know, and, you know, recognize that this is an asset. And so, you know, yes, we want the British passport. Yes, we want the American passport, you know, the Canadian passport. But let's not forget the passports for our ancestors. We paid our dues in these countries. And so we should hold on to the passports because other people are tapping into them. I mean... I am so glad that you're on here. Um, So now we talked about citizenship by investment. Let's switch to this digital nomad visa that became all the rage in the pandemic in the early years, because, you know, we're three years into this pandemic already. So, you know, talk to us a little bit more about what the digital nomad visa is, what it does, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, digital, you know, nomads is not a new concept. However, with the pandemic where once again, people could not move around, it was like, you know, tourism in 2019 for the Caribbean region, you know, approached 30 million. In 2020, it was 8 million, you know, and a lot of that was in the first quarter. And so as a way to 
get some people back into the region and also get some revenue back into the region. Barbados was the first to come out with their Barbados you know, welcome stamp in uh, July of 2020, where they basically said, you know, you pay us a fee. Um, it was US 2000. We'll look at your application, you know, provided you meet the criteria. And one of them was having a salary of at least, you know, $50,000. Um, you can come and live and work remotely, you know, in Barbados. And that is key, is that you must have a job in another country. And so you come and work remotely, and then you rent an apartment, you know, a villa, you know, maybe you rent a car, but you are, you know, buying groceries, you're paying rent. And so you're helping, you know, to put money into uh, the economy. And so um, I did a little bit of digging to see how that program went. And as of last August, which is the latest data that they had publicly released, um, they had received just under 3,000 applications. And of that, they had um, approved over 2,000 applications. And the top five countries where people were coming from were the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Nigeria, and Ireland. And um, the program has raised over $8 million U.S. million just in fees. So then you add on top of that, you know, the rental income, you know, the food, transport, and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, you know, it, it's starting to make back some of the money that's lost from, you know, tourism. So I have a couple questions. Um, I'm just playing, you know, alternative here. What's the difference with the digital nomad visa versus, okay, I'm buying a plane ticket and then I want to extend yeah. my ticket on my regular ticket? You know, like what's the difference? Yeah. So um, with the regular ticket, most limit you to say 30, 60, 90 days in the country. Whereas with these, you know, um, digital nomad visas, at a minimum, they're 12 months. So in addition to Barbados, uh, there's one in Bermuda, you know, Anguilla, Antigua, Bahamas, the Cayman Islands, you know, Curacao, Montserrat, as well as Dominica. But yeah, the big difference is that you can stay for anywhere from 12, 18, 24 months and live and work, whereas you were, you're limited with a regular travel. Yeah. And then my question is, you know, because I'm Jamaican, like, what is the reason why Jamaica doesn't have a similar program? I've seen on Jamaican Twitter that people are asking why. Um, but from your expertise, do you have a sense of why? You, you know, interesting. Enough, I did ask, um, you know, Jamaica. I was like, oh, what's up? And um, I think the regular visa, it's like 60, 90 days. And while you're in Jamaica, you can extend. So, I mean, priorities, you know, who knows why they haven't gone down this road? Because uh, it takes uh, infrastructure to, to to set up the program, yeah. And then you really have to manage these programs and help the people who come for these programs, you know, because it's one thing to go to a Caribbean destination and stay at a resort for two weeks, three weeks, you know, maybe a month. But now you have people are like, okay, you know, I want to work in your country. And so, you know, do you have co-working spaces? You know, how's your Wi-Fi? You know, schooling, 
because some people will want to bring their kids. So there are all these other factors that come into play. And some governments are like, mm, we don't really want the hassle right now because we're, we're trying to sort, you know, other stuff out. So have taken a wait, you know, and see attitude. Because, yeah, it is a lot of work because these people will become ambassadors. And plus, if your country doesn't really have an expat kind of community, then it's just more work. Yes, I figure that much. Now, let's talk about people actually moving back to the region because I've had some people who say, okay, I want to move back. Let me find some expat communities. What has been the trend that you've seen with people moving back to the Caribbean? You know, growing up, it's always been the older folks who are like, yeah, I'm a work in America so long. While they're working, they're building their houses. And we all know horror stories of what happens when they are here and building houses and then they move back. And I think from what I'm seeing and from my audience, it seems like that's trending to a younger demographic. So talk to me a little bit about what you've been seeing. Yes, more and more people are looking at um, you know, going back to the region, but one has to do it slowly and with intention. Because the last thing you want to do is pack up your life in the U.S., Canada, U.K., wherever you are, France, and go to the region. And then three months later, you're you know back. And so what I always recommend to, to people is like, look, if you're serious about moving back to the region, if you can, go for a month, go for two months, go for three months. Because you really need to think of this place not as, you know, vacation, but as like, I'm living here, you know, this is home now. And it is very, very, very different. And some people cannot handle the transition because it is much slower. <laughs> Listen, I can't handle the transition on vacation, much less, right? So, and, and you're right. It's managing that expectation in terms of easing in. You know, I've heard stories, people are on lines for the ATM or the bank or the bank is a whole day of fear. Yes. And that is another thing, too. So when it comes to moving back and living, yes, your first country, you know, if you have family roots is the country that your family is from. So in your case, you know, Jamaica and you know, my case, you know, it's Montserrat. But I know that Montserrat is not realistic for me because I have spent enough time now in Montserrat on you know extended stays to, to know that it is a very it's just too slow. I haven't lived in Montserrat for nearly 40 years. So it's not going to work. <laughs> and so I think that if we're serious about the Caribbean, we have to be open to other islands. And so from that standpoint, and one of the main reasons why people move back is because of health issues. And so if you have health issues, and the country that you want to go to doesn't have, you know, adequate healthcare or whatever, mm, that's not good. So look at, you know, the options, you know, the Cayman Islands, great options. It's one of the more expensive islands, but look at the Cayman Islands, you know, look at those that have, you know, medical schools, you know, Grenada, you know, Antigua. It's like, we need to think, you know, beyond what our you know initial comfort is. To say, okay, yes, I want to move back to the region, but the region might mean, you know, a different country from my ancestors. Um, yeah. At, and that's okay. We just have to be flexible. Yeah. 
that makes a lot of sense. And again, the thought a lot of us has never really, uh, you know, considered it like me living outside of Jamaica, you know, but it is something to explore for a lot of reason, health issues, access to health care, what that looks like, particularly if you are used to a robust healthcare system, even if it's you have to pay out of pocket. You know, in the U.S., you have all these urgent care and all these different places where you can seek medical treatment versus in the Caribbean. That's a very different infrastructure when it comes to healthcare. Yeah. So all those things to be considered. So the one thing that, you know, I know you have this on your website and it's a question that I've gotten from audience members who are thinking of going back to the Caribbean? What if they want to build a house? You know, what if they want to buy a house? You know, what does that look like? So I'll let you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, all of that is possible. But there again, too, you know, if you want to buy or build, go to the destination that you're interested in and stay, you know, a month, maybe two, or do, you know, a couple visits. You know, maybe you go in the summer and then you go, you know, in the winter and really you're scoping out different neighborhoods. You're talking to architects or you're talking to real estate agents to get a handle. Now, if you're settled on, it has to be Jamaica, you know, it has to be St. Lucia, tap into to a real estate agent, you know, on the ground and it can be done in like a matter of months. But if you're uncertain, you know, about where in the country or even which country, then take the time to visit the destination, you know, a couple of times, like build out a plan, you know, over 12 months. Okay. Yes. I want to buy property. I'm you know, initially going to use that property as, you know, an Airbnb, which is, you know, starting to be a thing in the region. So over these next 12 months, you know, I'm going to go two, three times, you know, make sure that it's the right place for me because yeah, in five years, you know, I'm going to want to move um, or whatever. And so make sure you pick the right country and, and you pick the right area because yes, you can sell it, but it's harder to sell, you know, once you have an asset, it, it just takes longer. Thanks for sharing that. It's harder to sell. But I think the big concerns, because you've heard it, I've heard it, a lot of people have heard it, you know, people are concerned about being scammed. So, so that's where, you know, you have to spend time on the island and tap into the people who've already done what you want to do. On every island, there is a expat in a community, you know, returning a, a community of people who have built houses, bought houses. And so you want to learn from those people's, you know, experience. Um, some islands like Barbados has a pretty robust, you know, online chat thing, um, you know, but others not so much. And so, you know, if you want to go to Belize or, you know, maybe it's Martinique or wherever, it, it's like you really need to be on the ground and talk to people so that you don't fall prey you can't just say, you know, my cousin said this or my cousin said that because like, you know, your standards and your cousin's standards, like they might be well-meaning, but it's two different things. And the next thing you know, you know, you've fallen out with your cousin. So yeah, it's best to get, you know, professional, you know, advice. Like in Montserrat, my cousin is an architect you know, I know real estate agents. And so that is the route 
that I would go for Munstrad. On, you know, other islands, I'm tapping into the real estate agents. But, you know, I'm going to go around and see, okay, how does this neighborhood feel? You know, am I going to want to have a car? Because it could be a great view, but I'm isolated. Just as you would buy a house in the States or, you know, Canada, you know, you can't, you have to think about those things. Like you have to spend more time there because if you're in, you know, New York and your property is in, you know, Jamaica out in the, you know, whatever. You need something because listen, Ursula, you are saying it. If I buy a property in Jamaica, I need to make sure I have trustworthy friends and family to go check on the property if I'm here. You know, we we tend to watch HGTV and all of these shows and everyone's like, oh, I want a property on the beach. And I'm like, I grew up by the seaside, so I don't want no property by no beach. Okay. Because we know when hurricane season come, all yeah. these things come, I have additional headaches. And so that's the type of information audience that Ursula is saying. You have to know, you know, do you want to buy a property and somebody's selling you this property, but it's in a flood zone, you know, when yeah. the rainfall, everything wash away. So like, there's a lot of, um, yeah. Or, or, you know, depending on, on the island, really all of the island. Okay. Is it built with, you know, category four, you know, category five and up uh, in mind? Because, you know, hurricanes hit, it might only be one every 10 years, but if it's one one every 10 years and, you know, your house is gone and it's like, okay, is it in a place where I'm going to be able to get uh, insurance? And that's key because, you know, things happen. And then, you know, the next thing you hear, oh, it's an act of God. And that is common in the Caribbean because it's an act of God. So you have to make sure that you're working with reputable people and that takes time to do the research, you know, get to know the local, you know, suppliers. Because, yeah, if it's your life savings or even if you can afford to buy three, four five different houses, you really want to make sure that it's a positive experience and it makes sense for you and what your goals are. Because it's like, what's the purpose of the property? Is it a place that you're going to rent out on Airbnb? Um, you know, is it a place that you're going to, you know, move to in a year or two? Because based on that, you might have totally different unit you know, requirements. Because you might want, you know, someplace in the city or someplace in the country might might be more appealing. Yeah, and as you are talking, it brought to mind a couple of years ago because right now when we talk about property, people talk about or thinking about freestanding buildings. But a couple of years ago, you know, I'm from Montego Bay, and there was this complex. I'm not going to say their their name, but you know, condos or a co-op. If those were, I think at the time that was an option that was available. Mm-hmm. But again, to your point, it depends on what I want to use the property for. Do I just want to keep it as a place to keep it in my family, and or you know because co-ops and condos, they may have limitations on airbnb it or renting it out. But again, more options for people to consider. So let's talk about Caribbean and co. You know, you have this wealth of information and people need to find reputable agents. How do people go about and doing um, finding those people? Is um, your website able to help them search, find people? What services can you potentially direct our listeners to? Yes. Yeah, so I have a wealth of um, free uh, information in you know, a blog post um, where I share you know, more about the programs, um, you know, whether it's the citizenship programs or the digital you know, you know, nomad programs or even you know, real estate 
for some of the islands. But then I also offer a, you know, concierge services in three areas. One is weddings and honeymoons. Um, the second one is our, you know, real estate property. And then the third one is uh, the citizenship. If you are interested in, you know, buying a passport, you fill out a form, you know, you tell me, you know, a little bit you know, about yourself and then we'll have a consultation and then I will, you know, connect you to one of the providers because with the citizenship uh, programs, you cannot apply directly to the citizenship programs. You must go through an, you know, approved uh, agent, you know, because the government doesn't want to talk to people because <laughs> there's just too many you know, query. So they need it's to gonna manage. be crazy. All the phone calls, like, yes, hello, Miss Prime Minister Motley. You know, <laughs> how I get into Barbados. I'm just I'm just kidding, but I understand. Um, I have another question because this comes up a lot too. Is there do you have a wealth of resources on what the different expat communities are in the region? Because that's been a request. If you don't have it, I highly recommended something because I have people asking me to put them in contact with these expat communities. And I'm like, I don't know. I I don't know any expats, you know? So yeah, I make an effort when I visit the destinations to try and find out. Um, A lot of it is in my head. I haven't yet, you know, documented, but I know that there is definitely a need for it. Cause yeah, some, some islands have groups, you know, whether on Facebook or, you know, elsewhere. um, But you know, others, it's like you, you have to call Bob Smith <laughs> and he will then tap you into, you know, the whole, you know, local. It's the Caribbean thing. You have to know somebody who knows somebody yeah. to hook yeah. you up to somebody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, Ursula, thank you so much for this wonderful and enlightening and informative conversation. Please tell the community of friends where they can connect with you if they want more information. They want to use your concierge service, which if you are serious, I mean, Ursula done make you know that she know the things. So let everybody know how to get in touch with you, please. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, you know, Carrie Ann. It's been great to be here with your audience. And I'm so proud of everything that you're doing in terms of our people in, you know, America, as well as, you know, elsewhere, because, you. you know, we're, we're out here in, you know, the UK and Canada and elsewhere. Um, in terms of getting uh, uh, connected, the best thing to do is visit my website, which is, you know, Caribbean and Co., so, you know, Caribbean 1R2Bs and then andco.com, as well as any of the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's, you know, Caribbean and Co. So C-A-R-I-B-B-E-A-N-A-N-D-C-O. That's my moniker across all social media. Thank you so much, Ursula, for being on the podcast. And as I love to say at the end of the show, walk good. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience, produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends. 